0: Members of Congress, I have the high privilege and distinct honor of presenting to you the Prime Minister of Israel, His Excellency Benjamin Netanyahu.
1: Benjamin Netanyahu's speech today in Washington was nothing short of spectacular. Israel's Prime Minister speaking to a joint session of Congress. You know, this morning I got up and I thought I should be doing the podcast and then I realized I could not speak on the issues of today without speaking about the most important political topic of the day, and that is Netanyahu's speech in Washington. Hello, welcome to the podcast. I am Brian Lilly. This is the Brian Lilly Podcast. And why is this the most important political topic in the world today? Well, because it touches on so many issues from Israel, American relations to domestic U.S. politics to what is happening with Iran. Now, Netanyahu's speech has been controversial, at least for some. We'll call them... Democrats. It's been controversial for them because it wasn't President Obama that invited him. Anyone that follows this issue knows that Netanyahu and Obama have not seen eye to eye for years. It's not that they have a, a horrible relationship. It's just that, let's say, it's it's frosty. And so because it was House Speaker Republican John Boehner of Ohio that invited Netanyahu to address a joint session of Congress, well then, President Obama decided that he he wouldn't attend he wouldn't even watch the speech according to his spokesman uh, Josh Ernest, asked about that yesterday so Obama was not going to be attending Obama was not even going to watch he wasn't going to listen and neither were many democrats apparently as many as 50 democrats did not attend Netanyahu's speech because they felt that him coming at the at the request not the behest but the request of John Boehner, a Republican, instead of at the request of President Obama, that that was somehow an affront to the United States, that that was somehow being political. So they decided to be political. But Netanyahu opened his speech by acknowledging the controversy and thanking all parties.
0: I want to thank you all for being here today. I know that uh, my speech has been the subject of much controversy. I deeply regret that some perceive my being here as political. That was never my intention. I want to thank you, Democrats and Republicans, for your common support for Israel year after year, decade after decade.
1: That wasn't the only thank you that Netanyahu gave out to those who've snubbed him. And let's face it, the White House has been snubbing him. Well, not just for the past week, not for the past couple of weeks since this speech became public, but they have been snubbing Netanyahu and Israel for some time. Jeremy Byrd, former top advisor at Organizing for America, Obama's uh, campaign team turned into Permanent Campaign Organization, He's in Israel running an anybody but Netanyahu campaign. There's several people from a State Department-funded group trying to defeat Netanyahu, who is is facing re-election in his country. But that didn't stop Israel's prime minister from being gracious and thanking President Obama for his support.
0: Some of that is widely known, like strengthening security cooperation and intelligence sharing, opposing anti-Israeli resolutions at the U.N., Some of what the President has done for Israel is less well-known. I called him in uh, 2010 when we had the Carmel forest fire, and he immediately agreed to respond to my request for urgent aid. In 2011, we had our embassy in Cairo under siege, and again he provided vital assistance at the crucial moment. Or his support for more missile interceptors during our operation Last summer when we took on Hamas Teres.
1: Anybody that knows Netanyahu that has followed his career, followed what he has said and what he has done, wouldn't be surprised by this. I've been following this man's career for a long time. I've had the pleasure of listening to him speak in person. I think it's a couple of times. It's definitely at least once. But I believe it's been a couple of times that I've had the pleasure of being in the room and listening to him give a speech. And he is a captivating speaker. So after the thank yous were done, Netanyahu got down to business and the business at hand was talking about the deal going on between the five plus one groups trying to deal with Iran and the nuclear threat. Iran says they're not trying to build the bomb. Anyone that has common sense knows that that's not true. They are trying to build the bomb. And Benjamin Netanyahu went before the American Congress and laid it out in stark terms why this is such a danger for his people.
0: To understand just how dangerous Iran would be with nuclear weapons, we must fully understand the nature of the regime. The people of Iran are very talented people. They're heirs to one of the world's great civilizations. But in 1979... They were hijacked by religious zealots, religious zealots who imposed on them immediately a dark and brutal dictatorship. That year, the zealots drafted a constitution, a new one for Iran. It directed the Revolutionary Guards not only to protect Iran's borders, but also to fulfill the ideological mission of jihad. The regime's founder, Ayatollah Khomeini, exhorted his followers to export the revolution throughout the world i'm standing here in washington dc and the, the difference is so stark america's founding document promises life liberty and the pursuit of happiness iran's founding document pledges death tyranny and the pursuit of jihad
1: i'd say that's a pretty pretty good example of the difference between the United States of America and the Islamic Republic of Iran. He went on to describe how Iran is trying to flex its muscle in the region. As states fall, he said, Iran is there to gobble them up. Whether it's dealing with Hezbollah, their front group in Lebanon, backing the Assad regime in Syria, currently killing its own people. Some of those people may be ISIS, and I won't cry over that, but Of course, the Assad regime is just one of many bad guys in the Syrian civil war. Iran backs Assad, Iran backs Lebanon and Syria. They back the uh, Hamas in the Gaza Strip. They're backing the the terrorists currently trying to uh, cause trouble in the civil war in Yemen. They have exported terror around the world, as he detailed whether it's uh, killing marines helping al qaeda bomb uh, helping al qaeda bomb american interests in africa bombing the jewish community center in buenos aires or even the plot to assassinate the saudi ambassador in washington dc all of that tied back to iran the world currently the world's greatest state sponsor of terrorism a country that has said repeatedly, whose leadership at least has said repeatedly, they want to annihilate Israel, the Jewish state. So I think the Americans should forgive Netanyahu for worrying about Iran getting the bomb. Now, the American administration says that they're worried about this as well, but they are not helping put forward a plan that will actually stop Iran from getting the bomb. They are not putting forward a plan that will halt nuclear development, that will stop the enrichment of uranium, that will even halt the building of centrifuges that can be used for intercontinental ballistic missiles. So when Netanyahu says, I have concerns about this, and Nancy Pelosi, a leading Democrat, says, don't insult our intelligence, I'm going to side with Netanyahu, and anyone who, who believes that the Jewish state has a right to exist should as well. Anyone who looks and says never again in regards to the Holocaust should side with Netanyahu. But because he raised the Holocaust, CNN's chief political analyst, Gloria Borger, actually went off saying he was becoming overly political there. He's politicizing the Holocaust. How? By pointing out that like the Nazis, the Iranian regime wants to kill the Israeli people. They want to kill the Jewish people, not just the state of Israel, the Jewish people. One of the things that Benjamin Netanyahu did in his speech was quote from one Iranian leader who said, If all the Jews gather in Israel, it saves us from having to hunt them down around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, there is a lot going on in the world, and so much of our attention has been focused on ISIS and what's happening there because the images popping up on social media are so compelling. But the fact is, a nuclear Iran headed up by people that believe they could hasten the return of the 12th Imam and Armageddon is not a recipe for world stability. And whether you believe that America needs to be the world's policeman or everyone should just stay out of everyone else's business. I don't think you can deny that Iran getting the bomb is anything but other countries staying out of each other's business. Iran means one kind of business if they get the nuclear bomb, and that is blowing Israel off the map and then using their regional influence to build their own empire. And I don't think that that's something that the world can stand by and watch. Unfortunately, if it does happen, it will happen on President Obama's watch. And that's something that he'll have to wear. But today he heard a good case, if he decided to listen, from Benjamin Netanyahu on why he should not agree to the deal currently on the table and, and instead should push for a better one, one that sees Iran give up the enrichment of uranium, one that sees Iran give up the building of its intercontinental missile system, and one that sees it walk away from declaring that the Jewish state should not exist. If on Holocaust Memorial Day or Veterans Day or Remembrance Day you say never again, then you cannot turn a blind eye and a cold heart to Netanyahu's words. I'm Brian Lilly. This is the Brian Lilly Podcast. More coming up in moments, including Justin Trudeau flip-flopping on the war against the other maniacal terrorists. That would be ISIS, or ISIL, as he calls them. He's changing his mind on that. What is that all about? That and a liberal deciding that hunting, hunting just isn't worth looking into. Check out com or like me on Facebook, com slash Lilly. All the stuff that I'm doing, whether it's for the Rebel, Truth, the Fold, or the Blaze, posted there. Stick around; we've got more to come. I can announce that America will lead a broad coalition to roll back this terrorist threat. Our objective is clear. We will degrade and ultimately destroy ISIL through a comprehensive and sustained counterterrorism strategy. As U.S. President Barack Obama last summer talking about his plan to build a coalition to degrade and destroy ISIL, the Islamic State in Syria and the Levant, that is, or sorry, the Islamic State in Iraq, In the Levant, that is probably a better name than ISIS because the second S standing for Syria confuses a lot of people. The Levant, a much wider area, it's actually closer in line with the area that this group tries to claim as their own. But that's neither here nor there. That was Obama last summer, and around the time he was saying that, the progressive hero saying the world has to help destroy these terrorists... Liberal leader Justin Trudeau was busy trying to denounce the idea that Canada was going to join in this coalition, send over six fighter jets, help bomb these terrorists back to the 7th century they so desire to live in. So Trudeau was opposed to that then this weekend. Perhaps he's been reading polling data, specifically polling data in his home province of Quebec, his beloved Quebec, where even Francophone voters are overwhelmingly in favor of defeating this terrorist group. Well, this weekend he was on CTV's question period with Bob Fife and said this.
2: We've said from the very beginning that, and consistently, that Canada does have a role to play as part of the international uh, coalition against ISIL. We have to make sure that Canada is doing its part uh, to push back against these terrorists who are a threat not just to uh, civilians and innocents in the region, uh, but to people all around the world, including here in Canada. So there's never been any debate within the Liberal Party about whether or not we should be part of this mission.
1: Hmm. I actually think... That is a big change from what the Liberal Party has said before, because you'll remember, Trudeau went out to the foothills of the Rockies and, well, he tried to say, no, no, not bombs, parkas.
2: There's a lot of people, uh, refugees, displaced peoples, fleeing violence, who are facing a very, very cold winter in the mountains. If something Canada has expertise on is how to face a winter in the mountains with the right kind of equipment, we could be supporting that way.
1: Oh, but that was then, this is now Trudeau. Trudeau says there's no change in what the Liberal Party believes in. That's, that's strange. That's very strange. As, as my friend Warren Kinsella points out on his website, warrenkinsella.com, Kinsella wanted to run for the Liberals. And one of the reasons that he was told by Trudeau's brain trust that he wouldn't be welcomed is that he supported the idea of Canada join joining the coalition to fight back against these terrorist thugs. That was not liberal party policy, despite then it was not in liberal tradition. He was told despite the fact that Lloyd Axworthy, Bob Ray, countless others, liberal stalwarts had said this is what we should be doing. So. That was then. Trudeau wanted to to help with warm weather clothing and tips for surviving the winter but now he says he's fully on board with it again from this past Sunday and question period with Bob Fife,
2: Uh, I've always felt that our our best support and where we uh, do well is supporting uh, the local troops in going after uh, ISIL themselves, giving them training and support and advice. So what's
1: really going on here? It's all about politics. It's all about not doing what's right. I think that Trudeau decided what he thought was right last summer when he decided that there's no way that Canada should be involved in helping stop the slaughter of Christians and other minorities, the Yazidis and and other groups, the enslavement of women into sexual slavery at the hands of ISIS. He thought, no, he thought this is just like the first Iraq war With George Bush back in 2002, 2003, he thought, no, Canada shouldn't get involved in this. I'm going to get a big bump in the polls. I'll do what I think is right. And then with news coverage after news story after news story about the atrocities of this group. Coming forward, I think the Canadian people have rightly looked and said, these folks need to be stopped. Now, if you're like me, you don't believe that we need to go in and do nation building. But when you've got a a town of 50,000 Christians being emptied out because ISIS is on the way and they have told everyone, you have three choices. You can convert, you can be killed, or you can pay the tax and live as a second class citizen. And by the way, if you do that, we're probably going to rape your women and children and put them into slavery. Entire town of 50,000 emptied out this past summer, one of the oldest Christian communities in the area, there for almost 2,000 years, forced out by people that believe that if you do not believe in their version of Islam, you do not deserve to live. That's who we're dealing with, people. So, again, if you're like me, you don't believe that we need to go in and and do nation building. We don't need to repeat the 10-year campaign in Afghanistan and, and defend all of this by talking about letting girls go to school. But taking what John Robson calls the Jacksonian approach of bombing these people and then saying don't make us come back again, I think is completely warranted. Just like I said with Netanyahu in stopping Iran from getting the nuclear bomb, if you stand on Remembrance Day or Memorial Day or Holocaust Memorial Day and you say never again, we cannot let these atrocities happen, then you can't turn a blind eye to the millions being displaced by these brutal, brutal thugs. I'm sorry, I don't have better words to describe them. But that's what they are. They are brutal, brutal thugs. They are maniacal. This is not a case of you've got to build up your enemy so that people uh, feel the need to go and fight. We all know that that's happened in war before, that that's part of propaganda. But the only propaganda coming out trying to make these guys look more brutal than they are is from ISIS themselves and their social media campaign to try and, and recruit from the West. Apparently 20,000 foreign fighters have joined their army, 3,400 from Western countries, according to James Clapper, the American National Intelligence Director, 3,400 from Western countries, and we know hundreds of them have come from Canada, hundreds from the United States, plenty more from places like Britain, Belgium, Europe is, they don't know how to deal with this problem. And they're rampaging across the region, not only causing instability, but causing real human suffering. And when that was on display, Liberal leader Justin Trudeau said, no, we don't need to help. Actually, he said we do need to help in terms of giving out blankets and humanitarian aid. But he didn't believe that we should actually stop the murder He thought we should just do humanitarian aid, and I don't understand that. I understand saying do humanitarian aid, and Canada is doing both. Most countries that are involved in this coalition are doing both. But I don't understand how giving someone a sandwich and a blanket, but not stopping the people that are displacing them from their homes and threatening to kill them, how that helps them at all. It just gives them enough energy to keep running and stay one step ahead of the tanks or the Toyota pickup trucks filled with the jihadis. So when Justin Trudeau was called upon to say where he stood, he said no. And now he's read the polling data and decided that the answer is yes. And he's going to try and parse his words and claim that this is all about what the definition of is is. But that's not the case. When called upon to stand, he sat down. Voters would be wise to remember that. Come October, I'm Brian Lilly. This is the Brian Lilly podcast. Check out brianlilly.com for more of what we're doing, and of course, you can check out a, a great video. We're going to post it up there later today of uh, Ezra Levant describing Justin Trudeau's flip flop. That's from the Rebel Media. If you're missing Sun News Network, the Rebel Media is the place to go for everything related to um, what we're trying to build, what we're trying to take out of the ashes of Sun News network. And of course, if you want regular updates on what I'm doing, facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. Click the like, and you'll get my feed in your feed. Stick around, more to come. Beyond the big international stories, beyond the, the headlines about Justin Trudeau and the latest odd thing he said, the latest flip-flop that he's got, the Liberals have another problem. And right now I'm going to pick on a, a man that I, I know and like on on many issues. Welcome back to the podcast. My name's Brian Lilly. Uh, this is the Brian Lilly Podcast. And of course, you can find out all about me on brianlilly.com, B-R-I-A-N-L-I-L-L-E-Y or facebook.com slash Brian Lilly is where you can catch my feed. So I'm going to pick on a man that I've known for years who I quite like on on many issues. He's one of the few pro-life liberals. He's someone who stands on his own principles even when they don't agree with his party. And regardless of party, I think you've got to respect that. He's found a way to stay within the party that he thinks best reflects his views without caving on core principles. And that's something in politics that has to be respected. I'm talking about John McKay. John is a Scarborough liberal. He used to have a lot more company in that area. That used to be entirely liberal territory, and now it's NDP, it's conservative. The liberals are struggling in the hinterlands of Toronto, as they are everywhere else. And so that's what makes me wonder what John McKay was thinking When he stood up in the House recently, they were debating Bill C-46, not related at all to the issue that he took a run at. And in response to an NDP member who had just given a speech, he got up and started talking about how he liked working with this chap on the Environment Committee and then talked about what the Environment Committee is currently studying.
2: It might be of interest Mr. Speaker to know is that the uh, environment committee is now engaged in a study on hunting and trapping um, of all of the issues uh, of all of the issues the environment committee could be studying uh, the climate change fracking or whatever hunting and trapping is the one that's uh, that's been chosen it's uh, it's of critical interest to us all
1: John 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 <laughs> I am sorry what were you thinking That, ladies and gentlemen, is part of the problem with the Liberal Party today and why they have trouble attracting votes outside of urban cores. He's completely dismissive of hunting as an environmental issue. Anybody that knows about hunters, trappers, fishermen, knows that they are the first conservationists. They are the people that want to look after the environment. Uh, look at the, the, the kerfuffle going on in the United States right now trying to ban this green-tip ammunition, the M885. These are bullets that were developed to, uh, because so many people were using the AR-15 in the States for hunting and, and target shooting that there was a lot of lead being used. So these are environmentally friendly bullets without lead. That's being developed by the people that, that hunt and fish. They care about these issues, and they care about preservation of wetlands, and they care about making sure that, that the areas that they hunt in are not destroyed. They care about making sure that they have a responsible harvest. That's how hunters like the Beasley brothers describe what they do, having a responsible harvest, because if you just go out and kill all the moose or all the deer or all the wild turkeys, guess what? There's nothing left to hunt next year. So it is an environmental issue. It is an important environmental issue. Parliament has been debating and discussing climate change for years without doing anything, including when the liberals were in charge. I believe the Environment Commissioner once described liberal environment policy as something to the effect of making a big to-do about their intentions and then forgetting about them before the confetti hit the floor. That's when the liberals were in charge of the the climate change file. So, yes, they're studying at the Environment Committee something other than climate change. They're studying real environmental issues that that relate to how people live in this country, at least people outside of Toronto, at least people outside of Montreal and Vancouver and downtown Winnipeg. And why am I picking on those places? I should have picked on on downtown Regina as well. Because I'm just mentioning the cities outside of Atlantic Canada. That's pretty much the only places that you're going to find liberal MPs. You find them in Montreal. Uh, Let's see. We've got two in Ottawa. Guess what? They pretty much touch on the urban areas as well. Whole Ottawa area used to be liberal. Now they're down to two. Conservatives take most of the rest with the NDP taking one. You find... Liberals in downtown Toronto. And then you've got to take a hop, skip and a jump to uh, Winnipeg. You know, there's smaller cities like Guelph that have them, but not a lot of liberals out there outside of urban cores. And when you're dismissive of things like hunting, well, that really doesn't help, does it? I remember going up to Deep River, Ontario. Friends were having their daughter baptized, and I was in their house and meeting people for the first time. Um, you know, you go to these you go to these functions, and it's have you met so and so, and oh, this is Bob. And so this guy says to me, "Have have I shown you my never vote Liberal again card?" Now, if you don't know Deep River, Ontario, this is a place that for decades voted Liberal both provincially and federally. Heck, Cluche was the uh, the Liberal MP, the last Liberal MP now, it's now solidly represented by conservative Cheryl Gallant, someone derided in the media but loved by her constituents. Anyways, this fellow says, if I showed you my Never Vote Liberal Again card, I said, no, what's that? He pulled out his gun license. This is back in the days of the gun registry, and they were still upset about having to register their hunting rifles and shotguns. They were upset that the criminal code was how the gun registry was bought into brought into being. The fact that you can't be a hunter with a rifle anyway, without first being a criminal. See, that's how gun control works in Canada. You are a criminal simply by owning a gun. And then you are given an exemption by the government to own that gun. That is the legal status of gun owners in Canada. You want to know why they're upset with your party, John? Look at that. Look at the attitude of people in in the urban cores that just don't get how folks in the rest of Canada live. And then realize that even in places like Scarborough, there are an awful lot of people who've got a shotgun and a three hundred eight in their basement and a bunch of fishing rods, and on the weekends, as soon as they can get out, they are off to cottage country to do the things that you just sneered at. It's going to be a long road to October 2015 and the election, and despite what the polls are saying, and despite how many times I've said I think that Justin Trudeau will be the next Prime Minister of Canada, The fact remains that finding a path to victory for the Liberals remains a difficult task, made all the more difficult when MPs start talking like that. I'm Brian Lilly. This is the Brian Lilly Podcast. Thanks for listening. Do remember to check out the website, uh, brianlilly.com. You can find uh, my videos on therebel.media and, of course, Facebook, facebook.com slash Lilly. You can find everything that i do post it there eventually it's been a pleasure being with you today thanks for listening and remember i'm on your side